One, two, three. Welcome to Highest Potential with Dr. Steve Pettit, a podcast that explores how Bob Jones University empowers individuals to reach their highest potential for God's glory. There is no question that November 3rd is a big day for our country, as Americans will vote to decide who will be the next president of the United States. To say that this is a pivotal time for America would be an understatement. But it's also, for Christians, I believe, a very conflicted time, because we are living with a variety of emotions and thoughts. We are conflicted over fears and and uncertainties about the future. Um, I think there's conflict over the the question of what positions should uh, Christians take in in on certain things, or or the personalities of the leadership of the leaders, and in, in who should we follow? And then I think there's always a conflict over God's control, the sovereignty of God. Does He rule in the affairs of men? And I'm often reminded of what Daniel said to King Nebuchadnezzar, whom God was going to humble. And there was a reason for that, and that was because of his arrogance and pride. When he spoke to him and he said that you are going to live like a beast until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomsoever he will. Friends, God is in control, and we can trust him that whatever happens, he is going to accomplish whatsoever he will. So today we are going to talk about politics, but not the current political issues of the day, but primarily the role of a Christian in our republic and how Christians can best communicate truth while discussing politics with others. And so first I'd like to talk to Linda Abrams, who is a history and political science professor here at BJU. In addition to wide ranging campaign experience, Linda has served as a political commentator for national as well as international media outlets, the Boston Globe, the Charlotte News, and Observer, and Bloomberg News are some of the many news services for which she has provided interviews. Her expertise is in how conservative Christianity and the American political system interact. And after I talk with Linda, I'd like to talk with Mr. Randy Page. Randy not only serves as my chief of staff, but also as BJU's director of public relations. Randy served on the staff of former South Carolina Governor David Beasley and served on several lieutenant governor's staffs as well. Before coming to BJU, he was the president of South Carolinians for Responsible Government, one of the largest grassroots organizations in South Carolina. So let's go ahead and listen to my discussion with Linda, and then we'll hear from Randy. Well, Linda, we are are so thrilled to have you with us here today on Highest Potential, especially in these very unique days that we're living in with the upcoming election. So we want this time to be really an instructional time, and I don't think we could have anybody better here than you. So thank you for being with us. Well, thank you for having me. Nothing I like talking about more than politics. Yes. Well, not everybody likes talking about (laughs) politics. That's very true. So let me uh, let me begin with some just some really basic questions, and I think they'll be very helpful for our audience. The first question is this: Could you provide us with a basic overview? This is important of the structure of our political system 
and how Americans are able to participate? Well, that's a great question. And when you look back at the founders, their biggest concern was to avoid, uh, when constructing the new government, to avoid a tyranny. That's what they had come from in England, and they wanted to make sure that that was not the case here. And so they craft, crafted this uh, system of government of checks and balances and um, you know, three different branches and they all check each other. And it really is an amazingly crafted constitution considering there is absolutely no model for it prior to this point. Um, the Lord was incredibly gracious mm. in giving them the wisdom to do that. When you talk about, so that's the structure of the government, but politics is how we act within the government and how policy gets made. The founders were very concerned about factions, which is what Madison calls them in the Federalist Papers. They didn't want political parties. Political parties are not mentioned at all in the U.S. Constitution. But political parties have been around since the founding fathers. There was no way ar around it. And part of our political heritage is that we are a two-party system, always have been, probably always will be, as opposed to England and Europe in general that are multi-party systems. We simply don't function that way. Um, and why not, why not, is that? Why? Why? Because I know like in Israel, they have like, I don't know, 24 right, or 30 right. groups. A lot of it is just what we're used to. There have always been just two dominant parties. Now, there have always been a lot of third parties, but um, there have never been any third parties that have been um, able to capture the presidency. Every now and then the uh, congressman will be elected from a third party, but it's just part of our political DNA. And if you, if it's possible to summarize what those two parties look like, what are they? Well, they change. We talk about three party systems and now that have existed throughout um political history, American history. Now they're talking about five different party systems. Political scientists are always wrangling over the party system. But right now, it's clearly Republicans and Democrats. What's different about today is that the parties have always basically looked alike. Now, that doesn't feel that way on the surface, but if you look at the core of them, they've always been capitalist, pro-capitalism. Mm. They've always been pro-democracy. They've always been anti-socialist. They've argued over other things, but these core foundational beliefs have always been there. That seems to no longer be the case as we drift further and further, the two parties drift further and further apart in terms of the essentials that have always been part of um, of American history and American politics. And that drifting apart has come, why? Well, um, that, that's a good question. And we're still trying to, political scientists are still trying to figure it out. Even from you know the Reagan years, which saw a decided difference between Republicans and Democrats, Republicans and Democrats in Congress were still friends. You know, there is no, yes. to my generation, there's no bigger liberal than Ted Kennedy. But who gave the eulogy at Ted Kennedy's funeral was Orrin Hatch, hmm. who's the ultimate conservative from Utah. But they were best friends. It's just like Scalia and uh, Justice Scalia and Justice Ginsburg, completely opposite, but very, very good friends. They vacationed together with their families. So that used to be the case. Um, Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill, the Speaker of the House, they used to go out to dinner together. But that's no longer the case. And that's- Totally different No, today, yeah. it's, it's really what hurts our political system 
Because if you cooperate with the other side, then the electorate turns you out. So some of this is the electorate's. It's our fault. Right. Because we don't allow any political compromise anymore. Well, I'm sure we could we could chase down that road and stick on that one for a long time. So I'm going to stay on script here a little <laughs> bit. Uh, so to help help us understand what does the scriptures say about Christians, uh, how they should view and act towards the government? Well, there's not one book in the Bible that completely deals with the government. So you have to extrapolate and pull things. But the clearest passage is in Romans. It's Romans 13. And most of the time, people look at Romans 13, 1 through 7. I like to take it all the way to Romans 1 through 9. Because if you take verses 8 and 9, you get a connection between the moral law and the <clears throat> and civic law. Civic responsibilities, which is what Romans 1 through 7 is about, obey the government. It's a duly constituted authority. Um, but verses 8 and 9 talk about the moral law. You love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, you shall, you, thou shalt not murder. Shall not, those kind. So you link there in those two verses the moral law of God to the civic law, which is really how it should be. There should be a basis in our secular law codes and civil law to, um, to the moral law. Mm. But it's pretty clear when God puts this in the book of Romans, I really feel like, I mean, obviously that was intentional, but Paul's talking about a government in Rome that was the worst government in the world towards Christians. And what is he saying? All power is ordained of God. Obey it. So it's very tough for us to look today and say, oh, we shouldn't obey the government when no one is burning in any government, and our government today isn't burning Christians at right. the Colosseum. Right. So uh, let's talk about um, what's coming up really important, and that's yeah. called voting, which, yes. is a, which is a privilege that we have. It is. Um, you know, throughout history, a lot of people didn't vote on their leaders. Right. Uh, they just had to live with who came. Um, should a Christian vote and why? Well, you know, that's part of the dilemma of democracy. Um, Romans 13 tells you to yield to the powers in authority. And we're still to do that in a democracy, but we are the powers in authority in a mm. democracy. It's we, the people. <clears throat> so we're supposed to yield, but we wield this power and we wield it in a country of unbelievers too. It's Christians and non-believers. Mm. So that complicates the problem. But voting is a way of endorsing or saying what you think should be preserved, what good should take place. So if we're not voting, then we are not engaging in that public arena of what we believe is best for society. So you're saying voting is actually you making a statement. It is. What should be, what policy should be promoted and what policy should be preserved. That's what, when you vote for somebody, that's what you're voting for. So a lot of times, because I, I know I've heard you say, in the past, you really didn't have to vote that much over personalities because there was a kind of a consistency because you said they knew each other. Right. You, you, but you voted on one side or the other based pretty, pretty much on the policies and so forth. Right. Um, you know, it's American elections have always been to some degree about personality. We um, we elect tall presidents, for mm. instance, um, which makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> but you can't help but let personality come into it. Sure. Um, but really what you're voting for is a set of policies. Mm. And and that's, you know, what, what does the Bible say government should do? It should 
<clears throat> protect. It should um, fight evil. It should promote good. So who's going to do that? Um, how? What candidate is more likely to provide that protection, which is what the Bible says government should do, and punish evil and promote mm. good? Some people, and I'm sure this is true of the day, say that not voting or voting for a third party candidate is really a vote for that for the opposition. Is that a correct view? Well, you know, <clears throat> there are two ways of looking at it, um, and both neither of them are wrong. But you can vote based on, you know, I think there's a biblical principle that you that leadership should be the best person for the job. And so you can vote for the best person. And that may not be one of the two major candidates. Mm. The best person may be a third party candidate. And there is a an element of conscience that makes that a right choice. We also have to take into account, and I don't think it's just pure pragmatism, <clears throat> that we live in a two-party system. One of those two major parties is going to win. And taking that into account, I don't think is a wrong way to look at voting right. either. So in that case, yes, if you vote for uh, a third party, you are voting really for the opposition. In some, but, but I don't think it's wrong to vote for a third party out of conscience. Okay. It, let me ask you this, and this is where I think uh, Christians are really struggling today, and that is, is a vote really a person's stamp of approval for a candidate? Um, that's, that is a good question, and I think it's a stamp of approval for a set of policies, acknowledging the fact that you are never going to completely agree with anybody, any, a whole set of policies. You're never going to agree on every point. But when you look at the two candidates, which one favors the values that you favor, which one favors the policies that you favor, which one does those biblical things, protect and punish evil? Yeah, I think, I think, I think we, we pretty much realize today that, that the tensions that we're facing uh, are either going to be over policies you know, mm -hmm. what is what is the candidate's vision for America? Right. And then I think, secondly, what is the style or what is the life of the person who is running as a candidate? And sometimes there's a conflict over policies and personality. And in neither case do you always have a great personality choice. Exactly. And what it takes to win in terms of personality, you might be the smartest, best policy person around, but if you're not charming and you can't communicate it through the media, unfortunately, you are not going to win election in that the United the States. Truth. That is true. And that's unfortunate, <clears throat> but that's that's a media age. Yes. Um, many people have said if Abraham Lincoln lived in, in a media age, he would not have been elected president. It is um, the time and age in which we're living in. Sure. Right. Uh, is there a proper way besides voting to oppose the decisions uh, our country's leaders are making? Well, you know, there are a lot of ways of participating in our political system. And we think voting is the most common way. Mm -hmm. But interest group activity is also another way to participate. And it's another way of making your voice heard. Um, if you're an individual and you write a letter to your congressman or you write a letter to the president, there is some impact on that if enough letters are written. Right. But if you join an interest group, that combines your voice on a particular issue, and then you're heard much more uh, forcefully. So doing that, we ha 
protest is is an element. A legal protest is an element. There's a abortion clinic in town, and some churches protest legally at that abortion clinic every weekend. Mm. And the point is, if no one says anything about it, then you think it's okay. Right. So these churches are raising, you know, the the banner that this isn't. We don't think it's okay, but it's all within the law. Um, and even the idea of civil disobedience, where you break the law, which you have to be very, very careful about. But w- when we look at the Hebrew children, <clears throat> they practice what we would typically say is civil disobedience, sure. but they do it with humility. Right. They're not in your face about it. They're, look, this is this is what we have to do. And they're humble. And humility is not very present in politics. Today. Yeah, there there is a very obvious dependence on God. Right. And I think we saw that in the 60s in the civil rights movement, mm-hmm. that there was a clear and obvious dependence on God to address the issues. And yet there was also some civil disobedience at the time. So right. yeah, I think that's a great illustration. Uh, how important are local elections in comparison to national elections? Well, you no, know, national elections get all the spotlight and we have the highest voter turnout in national elections and the lowest voter turnout in local elections. Hmm. But local elections, they influence your life every single day. And if you're talking politically, it's much easier to influence a local election where you're only going to have 400 people vote. Uh, I've seen local elections that have actually been tied here in Greenville, tied at the end of the, if one more person had voted, that is never going to happen in a national Mm -hmm. election. But local elections affect you every day. They're really more important than the national election. Um, But people don't see it that way. It's, you know, it de- local elections don't get the press. Right. That but they're important. Election. They're very important. They're very important. And they're easy to organize. And, it, in, and I think when we look, uh, particularly in the last, I'd say, six months because of uh, COVID and, mm-hmm. and then all the multiple decisions that have been made that in South Carolina, we are more affected by the decisions of our governor. Right. Than we are actually of our president. Right. So these are very, very important elections. And even in Greenville, right. of our local county government, our mayor, and those kind of decisions are very, very big. We tend to think the national government is big, but far more decisions and more diverse decisions are made on the local level. Um, and even in the national election this year, whoever is elected president, if the Senate remains Republican and the House remains Democrat, then there's not much that's going to be accomplished right. um, when you have divided government. On the local level, it's it, it turns over a lot faster in terms of decisions and, and things that actually matter. As a general rule. As a general As rule. As a general that's rule. That's right. <laughs> well, <clears throat> the election is approaching very quickly. So I'm not going to ask you who you think the next <laughs> president of the United States is going to be. But what do you think the United States is going to look like? In a month or two from now, that that's a very good question, and it's a it's a serious question because we've never thought about um, an uh, an exchange of power maybe that wasn't uh, anything but peaceful. I think we take for granted that every four years, whoever wins, 
gets to be president and nobody, no, nobody stops that. But we're approaching a time that's so divisive that I do worry about the exchange of power mm. to, to some extent. And if the president wins re-election, I'm not sure. There are some groups that they'll do anything to, to stop that. Right. Uh, so I, I, um, so we need to pray. We do need to pray. And, and, you know, the Lord is very faithful and very gracious to us, even though we don't deserve it. Right. Um, but we can still plead for his mercy on this election. We need to pray for Kings and all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Exactly. And honestly, that's what we should push our politicians to do. Yeah to give us a peaceable life. Yeah. That's that's the standard. Right. Well, Linda, thank you for your time. It's been a delight to talk to you, and uh, I'm sure the folks are going to enjoy these words. Well, thank you for having me. Well, we really enjoyed uh, hearing Linda's voice speak, and now I'm excited about Randy Page being with us. Randy, thanks for being with with me today. Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to this. I, I should say you didn't have much of a choice in this interview, but uh, you know, since you're you're right next door to me, but I'm glad you're here. Well, I appreciate you asking, and. Uh... Uh, uh, this is a subject that I enjoy talking about. Well, I think I think of all the people on the campus outside of our uh, political professors when it comes to politics, people want to know, well, what does Randy Page think? Since you have a lot of history and a lot of experience and actually a lot of relationships with people. And uh, so uh, let me jump right into some questions, Randy. Fantastic. Uh, first of all, before a Christian can communicate truth in politics, a Christian needs to be informed. So how would you encourage Christians to formulate their political views? Well, ultimately, you know, as a believer, the, the Bible should be our guide. And so looking at issues and principles from a biblical world, very biblical worldview perspective helps with that. And then, uh, seeking out those who uh, can mentor you is always a good thing. Uh, reading, reading a lot. You know, I think there are some, you know, fantastic news magazines from mm -hmm. a, a Christian worldview, whereas you have uh, World Magazine. Yep. Uh, personally, I enjoy reading the Wall Street Journal just to kind of get uh, some different things there. Uh, watching different television shows, right. uh, whether it's uh, on NBC Nightly News, which has its biases, sure. and Fox News, which has its biases as well. Sure. And uh, I think I often drive my wife crazy as we're watching those, and and I point out the different biases that are uh, inherent yes. in each program. But, but I think that's important. And so being as well-rounded as you can be and uh, trying to understand different issues, but ultimately bringing it back to that foundation right. of Scripture, what does Scripture say? And how should I, as a Christian, respond to that particular issue? Well, you can't you can't see through something if you don't first see it. Absolutely. And so, uh, discernment is the ability to see through things is a part of of Christian maturity, yes. and especially in the day and age in which we're living. Absolutely. In. Well, I think you would agree with me. It seems to be a fact that our country has never been more divided. Would you agree with that? I would say, you know, we, we definitely are very divided, but there have been, you know, historically speaking, uh, 
times of even more division. You well, know? of course, it, it, it feels like it today. Absolutely. Because we we're living, living it. Yeah, we weren't living in the days of the Civil War. Correct. And, you know, I, I think, you know, historically going back and thinking through an attack that happened on the, the floor of the Senate, mm. you know, when a congressman from South Carolina beat a senator from uh, Massachusetts in the head with a, with a cane. Yes. And then it was actually stopped. You know, he was kept doing it until his cane broke. And as other congressmen tried to intervene, you literally had someone brandish a pistol on the floor to protect him. And it was just bizarre to read because you think, how could that ever happen today? Yeah, that might be that might make breaking news today. It just might. <laughs> and, and it would be true breaking news. It truly would be. Uh, what do you what do you think, at least, you know, a lot of the tensions that we have today, what do you think are some of the things that have led to that? I think when you look at, uh, you know, back when I was growing up, you had uh, the news was given to you once a day mm-hmm. in a 30 minute increment. You had newspapers, you had uh, and that was pretty much your your news intake. And now we have 24 seven, right. You know, cable news network, you know, everything is breaking news. Everything is unprecedented and to where those words don't have any meaning anymore. Mm. And then you have, you know, talk radio and, you know, at times I think people have these shows and in order to grow a, uh, an audience, you have to just keep getting crazier and crazier in in how you pitch things, right? And so you you listen to those kinds of of arguments, and it's like no, that's not anywhere close to where it's at. Mm. And so I, I think it just it has engendered really a different uh, you know kind of electorate that gets ex, uh, that gets uh, offended at everything, right? That that uh, everything is you know going wrong that. You know, you can't trust anybody. Everybody's a crook. And and so that that's just not the way it is. And uh, you know, I, I do think that, that by and large, having served in uh, state government and getting to know a number of people, they, they are there to serve the public. Right. And so it, many times I, I just don't think that the average citizen understands what, you know, a congressman or a senator or a state rep or a county councilman or a city councilman goes through mm-hmm. and uh, that their true desire really is to serve. Now, they may have very different ideas of how to serve. Right. And good people can disagree on issues, but they should be able to to come together and work through those things. And, you know, ultimately, I think whether you're talking about Congress or the presidency or local issues, you know, there are some issues that you know, there should be a line drawn in the sand, mm-hmm. but there are other issues to where, you know, you or I might differ about taxes. You or I might differ about immigration. But when it comes to the issue of life or some other very biblical issues, those are issues that, you know, we can, you know, stand on our on our biblical principles and say, this is where we're at. We can do no other. Right. Well, I, I remember having a conversation a few years back with uh, one of my cousins who uh, was was really had a very um, liberal approach to how he viewed things, and uh, and mine would have been uh, obviously more conservative. Sure. 
But what was really interesting to me is, first of all, he was my cousin, so I loved him. Absolutely. And secondly, what I began to realize is he, he actually wanted the same thing that I wanted. In other words, his end yes. was very similar to mine. Yes. It's just the way he got there got was there very, very different. different ways, yes. And we just kind of looked at each other and thought, well, we just kind of disagree about the way we look at it. Right. And then we went back to having supper. Yes. And everything was fine. But it's very different today because in the age of communication and information, we're getting we're we're talking past each other and not getting and we're getting a lot of misinformation. Absolutely. And you know, just because information is so readily available, it's never been more readily available than it is today. And, you know, as I, you know, talked about earlier, just the inherent biases in information that, you know, people do end up talking past each other instead of talking with each other. That's that's so important. And as Christians, we are we are responsible to respond in a biblical manner. Absolutely. Uh, it, whether it's 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 anger and wrath that is inappropriate for believers or corrupt communication coming out of our mouth or um, saying too much. Yes. You know, if you think of if you think of a news agency as 24/7 and they're doing it for the purpose of profit, they're probably in the multitude of words sinning. Absolutely. And that's kind of what we're having to deal with today. Yes. One of your sayings is that you always try to communicate in a way that builds relationships and influence enemies and I've watched you do this. Is that even possible when discussing politics? Absolutely. I think, you know, so many times, you know, especially lately you hear, you know, people say, well, there are two subjects you never want to discuss. It's politics and religion because it just divides people. And, you know, I, I will say through the time that I had at the uh, in the state house and, you know, when I worked at the state house, being able to talk to people and listen to what they had to say. And, you know, they would ask good questions and there would just be good back and forth between each other. Correct. And uh, that, you know, you can talk about a subject in such a way as to influence another person to come your way. Right. And then you can take the exact same subject, but use very incendiary words that just drives them farther and farther sure. away. And so that that hurts the cause. And so I would much rather engage someone on an issue that I believe very deeply in, like school choice or life and talk to them about how it helps people right. and how it uh, you know does things like that versus necessarily cast castigating those who may disagree with me on a point here or there right. and and bring them to say you know this is what it does right right and uh, and then you know bringing them that way because politics is a game of addition hmm. you don't win elections when you subtract when you take things away that's right yeah um, th this is a this is kind of a no-brainer question, but it's also one that's really, really prevalent today. And that is, is social media a valuable outlet to receive news and discuss politics? Uh, simple answer, no. Um, uh, I think social media has done more to cause harm than good. It can be used for good, obviously. and uh, But I think, especially lately, People need to really be discerning about where they're getting their news from. Uh, some of it is just literally 
the you know the headlines are nothing but clickbait to where they want right. you know people just to click on it so they make money from from that right. particular click right. and <laughs> they have no intention of presenting good information and so you know can social media be good yes but how do you use it Correct. you know are you being discerning about is this coming from from this place or from that place or you know are you know cuz early on i mean i I would chuckle sometimes and almost cry at the same time when someone would take something from, you know, The Onion or Babylon B, which are clearly satire sites, and believe that it was true news. And it's like, you know, wake up, wake up. Uh, you know, you've got to understand the difference and be discerning. And so if you are discerning and, you know, apply some normal standards of checking things, I think it helps you. But if, if you're just going into social media without thinking with your brain on autopilot, right. you're going to get some really bad stuff. Well, I think the greatest value of social media is seeing pictures of my grandchildren. Absolutely. I think, I think that's the most important <laughs> thing. How this, this is one I think that we all as, as Christians struggle with, and that is uh, how vocal should a Christian be about political issues? And does it look like commenting on, should we comment on everything or should we never comment? How do we do that? This is a really good question. And, you know, I, I think when I was, you know, very active in the political process, I probably commented on a few too many things. Mm. And, and I think as I have uh, matured, I'll use that word, and, uh, gone into, you know, now working here at Bob Jones for nearly eight years, just understanding that most of the time on social media, I'm not going to sway anyone by my arguments mm -hmm. on politics. Uh, however, um, on the other hand, being silent is not a good thing either. So right. on issues, again, that I feel strongly about that, again, are tied to a biblical worldview where I feel that for me not to speak is to, you know, sit on the sidelines, right. which God does not call us to do. Right. Um, then that's when I think we need to speak. But it, it is really very much a balanced thing. Right. And I think for every person, they've got to find out what is that balance for me? Where should I be? How am I being salt and light? And then, you know, with those who follow me on social media if I continue to speak about politics versus something else, am I hurting relationships with people that for the sake of the gospel, it's, it's just not worth it because right. ultimately everything we should do should be for the sake of the gospel. Mm. Um, and so that's really where I try to come down. I'm going to say, do I succeed every day? Absolutely not. But that's really kind of my goal of where I want to be. I heard uh, years ago, kind of as a, a life principle, when you deal with with problems in people, that you attack the problem. Absolutely. Not the person. Yes. If you attack the problem, it's for the intention of solving it. Yes. If you attack the person, then you're going to end up in a fight. And uh, that's that's been very helpful advice when I have to address issues of the day. So uh, thanks, Randy, for your time. I really, really appreciate it. And for those of you that are, are listening, I'd encourage you to to go to our website at BJU Today, or you can go to my social media Twitter account. And I would encourage you to watch the chapel service we had at Bob Jones University 
with uh, Senator Tim Scott. I, I can't tell you how helpful his words were about how you should be a Christian uh, politician. And, uh, and he, he made it very clear that Christian was the first. So thank you, and I hope you've enjoyed our, our time together today. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Highest Potential with Steve Pettit. Don't forget to find us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.